You can have a seat. Yeah, praise the Lord. Well, hey, we are uh, continuing um, with the story today. We're in uh, chapter 21, and if you're new, what we've been doing is we're reading through the Bible uh, in 2013 and talking about it here on Sunday mornings. And if you've been following along with us at all, you know that today is a reason to party. And we're partying because it's the end of the Old Testament, the last chapter, and we are finally getting ready to move on to the, uh, the New Testament. And if you think you're excited about it, imagine what it was like living in this day, all right, and the waiting and the wandering and the hope of the Messiah. And so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take a few weeks off after today from the story, and we're going to start a brand new three-week series next week that I'll tell you about in a little while. But on September 15th, we'll dive right back in with the New Testament, and I'm excited for us to start the New Testament together. Uh, and what I hope that you'll do is that you'll not only join with us here on Sundays, but that you'll get engaged too, and maybe even make it a goal, no matter how your reading has gone with us this year, to say, you know what, I'm going to read through the New Testament. And I'm going to read these words for myself and just make it a goal to see God's plan, you know, in Jesus Christ and what that means for us and what that means for the people that we've been called to serve. And, and it's a great time. It'd be a great time to invite somebody new uh, to come to Genesis uh, to be a part of it with us. So, but for today, we've got one more week in the Old Testament, but it's a great story. And uh, we're in chapter 21 of the story, if you're following along in that book. If you've got your own Bible, go to the book of Nehemiah. Uh, in the Old Testament, if you're following along with something like YouVersion, uh, you can get to the book of Nehemiah. Uh, but what we've done is, as we've discussed uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, the people of God, which are known in the Bible as this nation of Israel, are living in exile in this foreign place. Now, they were originally captured by the Babylonian Empire, uh, which was eventually taken over by the Persian Empire. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this Persian king, a guy that you might remember from your history classes, uh, named Cyrus, and how he rose to power around 539 B.C., and he let the Israelites go. He gave them permission to leave Babylon, uh, and many of these exiles left, and they returned to their home in Jerusalem so that they could go to work on rebuilding the temple. But not everyone went. Uh, some of those exiles from Israel stayed behind in Babylon or are now in Persia. And, and we pick up the story now almost 100 years later, somewhere around 440 BC, 444 B.C. with a guy named Nehemiah. He's a Jew still living in Babylon, but working in the house of a new king, the new king of Persia, a guy by the name of Artaxerxes. And, and so starting in Nehemiah chapter 1, picking it up in verse 1, uh, it says this. The words of Nehemiah... Uh, which just kind of tip us off to the fact that he is writing from his perspective. So hear this from his vantage point. Son of Hakaliah in the month of Kislev in the 20th year while I was in the citadel of Susa. Now here he goes. He says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah, which we know to be the southern kingdom in Israel, with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So he's talking about those that left and went back to help rebuild the temple. And then here's what he said. They, they said to me, those who survived, this is the news Nehemiah received, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and in disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem was broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And then Nehemiah writes, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. 
Now, here's what we know about Nehemiah. We know that he's living a pretty comfortable life in the Persian Empire. I mean, he's in the palace. He's employed by the king. He's the king's cupbearer which means it was his job to bring the king his drink and not only bring the king his drink and his food, but he was the taste tester. He had to taste the drink and make sure that it wasn't poison. Now, you might hear something like that and think, what, what kind of senseless job is that? Like, who gets a job like that? But, but that's not the case. I mean, Nehemiah was highly respected and highly trusted to be this servant of the king. I mean, you had to be. But now Nehemiah gets this message about his home and how things in Jerusalem are really a mess and how many of his, of his friends, like maybe even brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews, how they went back to Jerusalem and they're living in this place now that is unprotected and it's unsafe. Uh, the walls of the city were destroyed, the gates were burned down, and this news breaks Nehemiah's heart. And he becomes really sad and, and so sad that he gets to this point that he can't control the tears And this becomes his brand new obsession. And you know he had to hear news like this and think to himself, you know what, I've got to do something about this. And uh, if you were here last week and you had the opportunity to hear Steve teach uh, as we looked at the story of Esther, um, I hope that you've taken some time and maybe processed a little bit for yourself over this past week, you know, thinking about, you know, is there, uh, what, what are the gifts that God has given you? I mean, what are those gifts that you notice about your life? Is there a cause that you feel like the Lord has called you to? And I, and I guess I wonder, um, is there anything, as you've thought about this a little bit, is there anything in your life right now that comes anywhere close to what Nehemiah is facing or anything like it? I mean, do you, do you have a cause? I mean, is there something that when you hear about it or when you see it for yourself, you know, you think, you know, that's an injustice, uh, that's unfair, I've got to do something. Or those people need help. I mean, they, they don't have anyone to speak for them on their behalf. I need to do something about that. Or, or maybe you thought, you know what, my family is falling apart and I've just been sitting around waiting for it to, to fix itself and I'm not going to do that anymore. I've got to do something about this. Or, or maybe you would recognize that this habit is taking control of my life. It's ruining me. It's time to change. I need to do something. Well, Nehemiah quickly realized that it wasn't about waiting around on someone else to fix things, but that he was the someone. God was using him in this moment, getting him ready for something else. And maybe that's what you're learning too. I mean, maybe that's what God's doing in your life right now, that he's not so much giving you a burden so that you can simply be saddened by it, but he's given you this burden because he's getting you ready to do something. You are the someone. It's not a coincidence. And God is ready to do something extraordinary through you and in your life. Well, Nehemiah realizes that he's the someone. And so what does he do? Well, look at verse 4, the the last half of verse 4. Nehemiah writes, For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I want to just make sure that you notice his first step. Notice his reaction. It's just like Esther's from last week. Notice that Nehemiah, he mourns, but then he prays and he fasts. And, And I just want to point out that some of you are here today and you're in a place in your life right now where you feel like you believe that God has called you to do something or that you feel like that, that he's at least trying to get your attention or that he's getting you ready for something else. And, and if you're waiting and if you're listening, don't forget to pray. Don't forget to pray and because I know especially that some of you are tired of waiting and you feel like that maybe God has lost track of you or he's not speaking to you any longer. I mean, and because of it, you're waiting and you're frustrated, but don't forget to pray. Because I promise you that God is not nearly in as big of a hurry as you are. 
And maybe he's using this time in your life right now to get you ready for something else. And so pray and keep praying and don't give up on him just yet. And pray as Nehemiah did. That's what he does. He prays. And not only does he pray, but he fasts. Now, we don't talk a lot about fasting, um, but there are a few things. There are a few things that will prepare you more for, for listening to God than something like fasting. And, and, and that's just where maybe you make a commitment to take away some food in your life. Or, or maybe it's not food. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's TV or, or the media or the internet or sugar or sweets. Whatever it is that, that you might withhold from something so that it helps you get greater focus on God. So that when you have these cravings and you have these urgings, you're reminded to turn to the Lord. And that maybe He even wants to use a season like that in your life. Maybe he wants to create space so that he can speak and that he gets all of your attention and then he can get you ready for something else in a greater way. But you're prepared. You're prepared to hear from him. Well, that's what Nehemiah does. He fasts and he prays and he finally gets a message from God that he's got to do something. And so here's what he does. He, he goes before King Artaxerxes like he normally does, but this time he's sad and, and he's been crying and you can only wonder that it's all over his face. I mean, evidently, Nehemiah was an ugly crier. Any, any of you know those ugly criers? Nehemiah is one of those. Like, it's just going to take days before the look is gone. He's been mourning for his people. And in Nehemiah 2, verse 4, it says, The king said to me, What is it that you want, Nehemiah? And then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. Nehemiah says, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And so he asked for permission, and the king's going to agree, but it doesn't stop there. And over in verse 9, it says, I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the, pre the residence I will occupy. And then Nehemiah writes, because the gracious hand of God was on me. See, God was working. God was preparing him. God was working behind the scenes. The king, the most powerful man in the world, granted my request so I went to the governor of Trans-Euphrates and I gave them the king's letters and the king had also sent army officers with me and cavalry with me. See, Nehemiah knows that this man, this king, has authority and influence and so he asked the king for reinforcements and he asked the king to clear the way of any obstacles or any red tape that might come up on his way to accomplishing this, this big, important goal. And here's what Nehemiah knew and, and what I think we all know intuitively that no matter what it is, and if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, that on your way to your goal, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face opposition. I mean, when you get focused on serving God, when you start trusting Him with every part of your life, and you're moving in that direction, you better believe that you're going to run up against opposition. And it doesn't matter what your goal is. If you're doing something for the right reason, or let's take it a little step further. If you are out to do something for God, something great for God, whether it's serving others, it's serving in your family to improve your life, or maybe your family's life, anything to give glory and credit to God, you're going to face opposition. And Nehemiah knew this, and we see that in the very next verse. In verse 10, we meet a couple of guys. It says, when Sanballat the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, all this happening, they were much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And it's here that we meet the enemy. This is the opposition. 
And, and notice that Sanballat and Tobiah weren't disturbed for any other reason than they knew that they knew, except that they knew that, that Nehemiah was here and that he was going to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And they knew it would help other people. And so Sanballat and Tobiah decided to oppose this initiative. And so it's through this opposition and through this response from Nehemiah that we really find our big takeaway today. And it comes from a phrase that is so good and it's so rich and something so meaningful that, that I think you might find yourself saying it later on this week. You might find yourself saying it a couple of weeks from now, even a couple of months from now. And it's a phrase that comes right out of Scripture and right out of Nehemiah's story. And it's a phrase that I first heard talked about, preached about about 10 years ago. And it's changed the way that I deal with opposition and I hope that it'll do the same for you in your life today. But I'm going to hold you in suspense for a few more minutes with it. Because before we get to that, I want you to see the rest of the story and see first how Nehemiah's enemies try and disrupt this rebuilding project. And why is that important? Well, it's really simple. You've got an enemy too. We forget to point that out. We forget to realize that, that you've got an enemy in your life and your enemy wants to stop you from doing things of value, especially if you're living your life for the Lord. Your enemy, as Jesus once said, came into this world to steal and kill and destroy, and that's precisely what the enemy wants to do with your life. He wants to steal your joy, and he wants to kill your dreams or maybe destroy your ministry. I mean, it, it's his job to make sure that you don't believe in yourself, that you doubt your purpose and significance in this world. Uh, your enemy will try and convince you that you're ugly or frumpy. He'll do that. He'll find ways to make you hate your job. He, he takes great pleasure in coming in between you and your spouse in any marriage. And it's his job to make sure that you don't follow through on any important task, don't accomplish any important goal especially if he knows that it is something that will potentially bring glory to the Father. And I promise you that the enemy will use anything at his disposal to make sure that you'll fail. He'll use your circumstances. He'll use your thoughts. He'll even use other people to frustrate you. And that's what Nehemiah is going to run up against. You know, and so Nehemiah is in Jerusalem. They're on their way to this project. He gathers people together and they get to work on the reconstruction of this wall. And right away, here comes Sanballat. And in verse 19, it says, When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? And I just want you to see what's happening right here with Nehemiah because it applies to your life and my life too. And notice what Sanballat is doing because he's using a tactic that your tactic will use. Write this down. Your enemy wants to distract you. I, he loves distracting people like you and me. And we've talked about that. We talked about that a, a month or so ago about how easily distracted we are and how that makes the enemy's job easier. And, and here comes Sanballat and Tobiah and they call out to Nehemiah, you know, hey, what are you doing this for anyways? Come on down the ladder, get coffee or get lunch or something like that. And they, they, just, they just try and make Nehemiah question his intentions. You know, they, they call out things, are you rebelling, you know, against King Artaxerxes? And so they, they want to scare him and, and maybe even Nehemiah, you know, get him questioning about his motives and his intentions or could I be doing this in a more effective way? And you just got to know that your enemy will do that too. I mean, that's the way he works. Your enemy will distract you. And in your life, you know, he'll distract you so that when you know and realize that you could be spending more time with your kids, your enemy will distract you when you realize that, well, it's my play on words with friends, you know, it's, it's my move, you know. And so we'll substitute that or 
when you could read your Bible, you know, you'll remember you've got another episode in the new season of Arrested Development that you haven't watched yet, you know, or, or when you could be praying. I mean, the enemy loves to distract us, especially when we have any thought of prayer. But, and so he'll do that because you realize, well, I, I prayed yesterday and I don't even know if it's working anyways. Or, or maybe you think, you know what, I could sign up to serve on one of those ministry teams, but the enemy will delay you as he gets you questioning on whether you really have the time or not. Distractions. You know, and in 2013, USA, I mean, we have more reasons and more causes for distractions than any other people at any other time in history. And sometimes the distractions are so subtle that we don't even know what's happening. And that's just how the enemy likes it. It just makes his job easier. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Uh, he ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall, offer their sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble as burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. It just kind of reveals for us the second tactic the enemy will use. I mean, he'll try and distract you if he can, but if you can't do that, uh, your enemy wants to discredit you. I mean, he'd love to do that. And it's about convincing you that what you're up to isn't important. It's not a priority. It can't make a difference. I mean, he wants you to get thinking that you've tried something like this before and what can you accomplish? And, and because you're a mess up, you know, what makes you think that you can serve in ministry? I mean, you can't even take care of yourself or... You know, what makes you think that you could serve in something like Gen Kids? You don't know enough about the Bible. Or why could you ever tutor at your kids' school? I mean, you don't even have a degree. Or you can't write that book because no one will read it. Uh, you can't kick that habit because you've tried before. You can't take that job because you're nothing but a failure. You can't lose that weight because you were born with big bones. You can't make the team because you're not athletic enough. Or you can't have a great marriage because you'll never be on the same page. Your enemy wants to discredit you. And so many of these attempts to discredit us, when you think about it, they start in our head. And unfortunately, that's where they usually end. I mean, we're, we're, we're so good at listening to the condemnation and the criticism that it's so often enough to stop us from doing anything at all. Now, I do want to add there, I'm not saying that every voice inside of your head is a bad voice, because I believe that just as the enemy can get inside of our heads, that also our, our our Lord can give us wisdom, and, and, and He wants to share with us too, and He wants to get us moving in the right direction. But here's how you can tell. I mean, here's how you can tell the difference between the Lord's voice and the enemy's voice. I mean, when God corrects you, I mean, He corrects lovingly and graciously. When Satan, you know, goes to discredit you, he does it harshly and very, you know, generally. And so if you think to yourself, you know, when I responded to my kids like that, I could have been more compassionate, there's a good chance that's from the Lord. But if you think to yourself, you know what, I never say anything right, I'm a horrible parent, that's probably from the enemy. Or if you find yourself thinking, you know what, maybe singing isn't my thing, and I ought to try and find somewhere else to serve, you know, that could be the Spirit of God in you. But if you think to yourself, I've got nothing to offer, I mean, there is no use for me in a church like that, this, well, that's the enemy. Or, or how about this, you know, in a very general sense, you know, thoughts like I've got room to grow in my life, those kinds of thoughts come from God, but I'm a moron is probably from the enemy, most likely, you know. He wants you, he, he wants you to be down on yourself. He wants you to fail. The enemy will do whatever it takes to discredit you to make that happen. 
Skip over to verse, or chapter 6, uh, verse 1. The story continues. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of, your enemies, that I, uh, of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to the time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono, uh, but they were scheming to harm me. You know, and so nothing else worked. And Sanballat and his cronies, they try to say, again, Nehemiah, come on down from your ladder. You know, let's talk. Let's get coffee or something like that. But Nehemiah was smart enough to see what was happening. You know, and it's in verse 2. You know, Nehemiah knows they're planning to hurt him. And how does he know? Well, I think he understood a third tactic that the enemy will use to stop you moving in the right direction. And that is that the enemy wants to deceive you. I mean, that's what we see here. I mean, since they've run out of tactics, it's time to lie. And so they flat out lie to Nehemiah and just try to get him stopped working on this wall altogether. And you know what? Your enemy will do that too. I mean, he'll lie if he has to. I mean, it's why the Apostle John, you know, wrote that Satan is the father of lies. And, and if he can't distract you, if he can't discredit you, he'll lie to get you to stop. But I want you to see how Nehemiah responds to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem and and again, his response is so good, and it's so simple. And I heard Andy Stanley, uh, another pastor and writer, preach on this a number of years ago. And for me, as, as, a, as a person, but also in ministry, this is something that has just always stuck with me. And, and what I think it can do for you and, is that maybe even this week, you know, you'll find yourself in a moment where you'll remember some words like these, or maybe later on this month, whenever it is. And, and I, I just want to show you this phrase, and I want you to see how it's written in the New American Standard Bible. But if you're using a different translation, it means the same thing, even though the words might be arranged a little differently. Here's how Nehemiah responds. In Nehemiah 6, verse 3, it says, So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? A simple, but I think a very effective way to stand up to the opposition in your life. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. I mean, Nehemiah knows and understands the importance of what he's doing, and he knows that. Just like with the work on the temple that we talked about a few weeks back, uh, that if he, Nehemiah, allows himself or his people to get distracted, the work's going to stop, Nehemiah responds to their invitation, to their deception with these words, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Four times his enemies send a message to him, and four times Nehemiah responds with the same response. So when the enemy tried to distract him, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. When the enemy tried to discredit him, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. When the enemy tried to deceive him, I am doing a great work and I cannot and will not come down. Say it with me. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. A simple yet powerful statement that you can recall in your life when you face opposition, especially when you're doing something great or something important, moving in the right direction and trusting the Lord, saying with all of your life, God, I'm here to serve you. Well, Nehemiah stuck to his guns, and the Bible says that he and his people, they completed this wall project in something like 52 days. 
The city was finally safe from their enemies once again, and the people threw a party to celebrate the completion of the wall. Now, why was it such a big deal? Well, it's interesting when you think about it that up to this point, no one living in Jerusalem had ever lived in the city with standing walls. I mean, they were just used to the way it had always been, and they were used to these enemies and these thieves who would come along and steal from them and steal from the city. So they had no idea how much better their lives would be when this project was finished, but because Nehemiah really understood what was important and because he was able to stand up and face the opposition that so desperately wanted to stop him. This great project was completed and the Jews moved back to Jerusalem and they felt safe again and it brought a ton of glory to God. And in the last few minutes, here's what I want to do for you. I want to talk about why this matters to you in your life and in your family and with your kids and wherever you're living right now. I want to talk with you for a moment about what this could mean for you today and the hope in this because, well, Think about this with me. Is there one thing that you feel like the Spirit of God in you has been prompting you to do? Is there something that God has been calling you to do? Like, like is there one thing? And maybe you already know what it is. Or maybe you have a, th- a hunch or, or a thought. Is, is there one thing where you feel like God is leading you to do something for Him in your life right now, no matter how insignificant you may think it is or how great it may be? You know, like I said last week with the story of Esther, you know, we challenge you to think about your cause and your gifts, and how you might use your gifts to respond to respond to some important needs around you. And so, maybe that one thing for you is a project that you've been delaying to complete. Or maybe that one thing is that you need to sign up to serve in a ministry. Uh, maybe that one thing is that you know you need to sit down with someone. You need to contact that organization. Maybe you need to finally register that 501c3. Maybe you need to finally sign up for that mission trip or, or make that appointment to go to your kid's school and to sit down and talk with the principal about some of the things that you're seeing. But what happens? Distractions. And, and you're busy and the voices in your head are like, what can you do? You're one person. You can't make a difference. And it's like, well... That's where some of you are today. And I fall guilty in this too. I mean, like Nehemiah, maybe we need to do, maybe we need to respond in such a way like he did that that you need to speak up and it's almost as if you need to talk back to those voices in your head and be able to say with confidence that with the Lord's help, I am doing a great work and I will not come down. You know, maybe your one thing is a bad habit and you need to quit smoking And you knew that if you did, you'd be better off. But your friends, like you've got a group of friends and they just kind of keep pulling and they'll say things like, you know, just one thing won't hurt. And, you know, you've tried this before, you can't do it. And maybe that's when you need to take charge and really in some sort of way say, you know what, I'm doing a great thing with my life. And with the Lord's help, I can't come down. Uh, Maybe someone here today drinks too much. And how do you know that you drink too much? Well, you've got friends who love you that tell you you drink too much. And why do they say those things to you? Because if they, if they love you, they just want you to know that truth. But, but, and maybe you know God's been working in your life, and maybe you're realizing that it is time to take control, but yet there's still something in you that wants to get in the way and is just saying, you know what, it's not a problem. Or maybe you've got some friends that are enablers, and so they'll try and pull you back onto the wagon with them. But, you, but maybe if you realize that it's time to get some help, maybe you look at your opposition today and you just got to say, you know what, I'm doing a great work and with the Lord's help, I won't come down. Uh, for some of you, it's a debt that you need to pay off. 
And uh, you know that if you could eliminate some student loans in your life, there's so much more that you can do for the Lord and you'd be in a greater place financially, but the stress won't go away right now. And maybe you'd love for the fighting to stop. And, but here's what happens. I mean, when you get home from work, there's just all of this exhaustion and it's easier to just go out to eat or... Or maybe on the other side of it, maybe you have finally paid off, you know, that car debt. And so you're finally making some progress. But what's the enemy up to? He likes it better when you're tied down to the debt. And so he'll start talking to you about the brand new car, you know, the one with the sunroof or the one with XM radio or those toasty bun warmer seats or something. And you see that and the commercials just saying it loud and clear. But you've got a plan and you know that you have a plan in your life to eliminate the debt. And so maybe it means saying to your enemy, I am doing a great work. And with the Lord's help in my life, I will not come down. Maybe for some of you, it's not a project. Maybe it's not a habit, but it's a relationship that needs restored. And maybe you had a fight and broke up or you separated. Maybe he's apologized. Maybe she asked for forgiveness. But for whatever reason, you can't let the past go. For some of you, it could have to do with a parent. Uh, Maybe it's a sibling or something, husband or wife. Maybe it's an ex. And, And maybe you know that you can't tolerate one another. But, but the, the challenge is that there are kids involved and, and you know that something has to change so that you can at least give your, your children a life that is close to normal as possible. It doesn't mean you have to be like besties, you know, with your ex, but maybe there's some sort of, of work that God's doing in your life that just kind of prompts you that, you know what, I, I need to be a peacemaker in this relationship. But at the same time, you've still got family and you've still got close friends that are telling you, no, you keep fighting, but if you've decided that something has to change, it might be time to say, you know, I'm doing a great work, and with the Lord's help, I will not come down. The relationship could be your marriage. I mean, you're here, and you're listening, but maybe you're ready to call the attorney, and you're ready to walk out because you think it's the only way, but maybe it's not because it's not what God wants, and it's not what he wants for your kids, and it's not the best for you, and while your enemy has been shouting, end it, Maybe today is the day that you come to that point where you're able to say, you know what, I am doing a great work with my life and I will not come down. And finally, maybe for some of you in this room, that one thing is to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And you've been coming to church for years now and but you've still got questions. And every time you think about making that move to invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, it's the questions again. It's the doubts. It's like, you know, did God really create the world in, in six days? Like, is that possible? Or the, the boat thing and all of the animals, like you just can't get there. And so what Satan's up to, here's what the enemy loves to do. He loves to lie and he wants you to focus on those doubts so that you get distracted from the truth. But what's the truth? The truth is the most important part of the story. And it's the truth that Jesus Christ came to this earth for you and he carried your sins to the cross and he died with those sins and he rose from the dead. And because he did, you can have the promise of eternal life and not only the promise of eternal life for one day, but that you can have the courage and the passion to live for him in this world today with no resolve. And if you put your trust in Jesus today, I can promise you that he'll come racing into your life and nothing will ever be the same ever again. But in order for that to happen. Some of you need to look at those doubts that you've been facing and maybe even respond to them today. I am doing a great work and with the Lord's help today, I will not come down. Let's pray.
You know, as we pray today, I, I can only imagine and wonder how the Lord may be working in your life right now. I mean, what's He been speaking into your heart and your life over this past week, or maybe it goes way back? Is there a cause? Is there something you feel like He's been leading you to do, whether it be in this church or in your home or in your neighborhood right now? Maybe it's just something in your life where you draw a line and you say, you know what, from this day forward, something has to change. And, and what I hope and pray today is that in this something, God is revealing to you more and more that you are the someone and that because of His great power, all things are possible if you trust Him and if you pray to Him. And so I want to give you just a moment to do that right now and just ask the Lord to work, to encourage you, to give you the ability to look past the distractions and with all of your heart and all of your, your intent and your eyes focused on Him, that you see all things are possible, that there's a purpose with your life. Take a moment and do that right now. And be encouraged while you pray. God, we thank you that you have a purpose for every life. And we thank you, Lord, that you call. You've called us to be your children, to be your people, to be your servants in this world. And I pray that you would give us the faith and the confidence to live for you in all things today. As we keep praying, I know that maybe for some of you here today, maybe you're the person I described just a moment ago. You've been coming for years. And Satan loves to distract. And he's been distracting you with doubts. But maybe today you would open up your life to believe that God has been prying open the door of your heart and he's ready to come in and to change you forever. And if you'll just invite him in, he'll come and he'll be the Lord of your life. If that's where you are, I, I want to invite you. Don't hesitate any longer. Quit putting it off and invite Jesus to come in. You can pray these words with me wherever you are right now. Lord Jesus, I need you. And with your help, I'm inviting you in today. God, forgive me of my sins and my past. Show me what life from this day forward looks like. And thank you, God. Thank you for saving me today. Lord, I, we, we thank you for these prayers offered all up around this room today. Now, we're trusting you as we keep taking these steps ahead. Uh, you are a faithful God, mighty to save, and uh, we, we just celebrate that we know and we believe that you have a purpose for our lives, that you have a purpose for this church, and we want to just continue coming with you with our arms wide open, saying we're here to serve, we're ready to be used by you in all things, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, will you stand with us as uh, we get ready to close together as we celebrate uh, with the words of this song? Let's shout them uh, to our Lord. <clears throat>